0: It was a fairly upper-class suburban neighborhood. You got for your bar mitzvah, you got a lot of gifts, very expensive gifts, jewelry and, and golden pens and savings bonds and all this. And I stored all that in a kind of a leather box.
1: Andrew Clavin is a best-selling mystery writer. But this, you're about to hear... Is his own very real story.
0: I crept outside with this leather box full of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry, savings bonds, and so on, and I stuffed it down into the garbage so nobody would find it before they took it away. And that was basically meant to be the end of my religious life.
1: Andrew Claven is our guest on this episode of GPS: God, People, Stories. I'm Jim Kirkland, and I'm Phil Fleischman.
2: After Andrew's remarkable story, Billy Graham tells a story of his own.
3: I must confess that I was arrested once years ago when Butterland. lad.
2: You'll hear how that turned out right after our interview with Andrew
1: Clavin. And before we start that interview, one more point that uh, we want to relay very quickly: if at any point while you're listening to this episode of GPS that you would like to know more about your relationship with Jesus Christ, here's the website to go to. You'll find plenty of information at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. GPS. God, people, stories. Andrew Claven is a best-selling
2: author who's written about three dozen books. Most of those are suspense thrillers, and a couple
1: of them have been turned into movies. He's also written a few screenplays. In his 60 years of living, Andrew has gone from being a secular Jew to an agnostic, to a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Andrew grew up on Long Island, about 20 miles outside of New York City.
0: My dad was a very popular morning radio DJ. And, you know, my upbringing was a little bit odd when regarded religiously, in the sense that it was important to my my father that I and my three brothers be raised in the Jewish tradition, that we learned what our faith was and what our religion was, but there was no God in our house. My, my parents didn't really believe in God. My mother was the most convicted atheist I ever met to the day she died. She didn't believe in a thing and thought all such beliefs were absolute nonsense. My father would hedge his bets a little bit, like he didn't want, he didn't want to get, get the authorities angry. But he, he never brought God home.
2: The family observed the Jewish high holidays, but they never prayed or talked about God.
0: As a result of that, I became very alienated from the Jewish religion because I hear I was being forced to go to Hebrew school when the other kids were outside playing, being forced to go to high holidays and fast. But why?
2: Questions and intellectual honesty are big parts of Andrew's story. So he says at age 13, he felt like he was committing an act of hypocrisy he stood up at his bar mitzvah and declared belief
1: in Jewish teachings. Now, by the way, bar mitzvah is the Jewish celebration of a boy becoming a man and taking responsibility for his actions.
0: In those days, in that neighborhood, it was a fairly upper-class suburban neighborhood. You got, for your bar mitzvah, you got a lot of gifts, very expensive gifts, jewelry and, and golden pens and savings bonds and all this. And I stored all that in a kind of a leather box but six months went by, and I started to think, you know, this is ill-gotten gains. You know, I'm being paid to say something that I didn't believe. And I started to feel so bad about it, so guilty about it, that one night I waited till everybody was asleep, and I crept outside with this leather box full of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry and savings bonds and so on, and I stuffed it down into the garbage so nobody would find it before they took it away. And that was basically meant to be the end of my religious life.
3: Like never but sometimes the can find themselves weak oh, so let the
1: whole thing burn several years after that night Andrew was attending the University of California at Berkeley That was an important time in his life. He met his wife there he discovered his love of literature there but it's also where he discovered the non-biblical idea of moral relativism
0: They were teaching me that morality was relative. That one civilization was just as good as another. You might think something is wrong, but somebody else thinks it's right. And then, you know, there's who who is to decide. And they would say everything, these things are subjective. Morality is subjective, they would say, and therefore it's relative.
2: It was a worldview that just didn't sit right with Andrew. But it was also one he couldn't let go of as he entered the world of professional writing. Andrew's early days as a writer were rough. Like a lot of aspiring writers, he was working other jobs to pay the bills. But that wasn't his only struggle.
0: I suffered from terrible depressions. I would call it the, the bolo because it was like one of those weapons that they throw, you know, that wraps itself around your throat. It comes out of nowhere. And wraps. And that's, that's what it was like. You know, you'd kind of, things would be going OK. And so suddenly this black depression would come on you.
1: It got so dark that he couldn't see the point in living anymore.
0: And I started to think, you know what? My wife, and now I've got a little baby daughter, I started to think they would be better off without me. And I was sitting in a room by myself, smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey, the lights off, and I had a, a Mets game, a New York Mets baseball game, on the radio. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know how to live, so maybe I should figure out how to die. And I started thinking about methods. You know, I, started, I was thinking really, we were living in a building in Manhattan, then I thought I'd just walk up to the top of the building, walk off the building.
1: While Andrew's thinking about suicide, the Mets game is still going on in the background. And one of his favorite players, Gary Carter, makes a surprise winning run to first base. It was a surprise because Gary was a catcher with bad knees who couldn't run all that fast. Now, Andrew admired
2: Gary Carter, but he hated how he always thanked Jesus in his postgame interviews.
0: And the lady came up and interviewed him and said, how did you how did you run so fast with your bad knees? You know, and it, If he had said, oh, Jesus, Jesus, it was God helping me, I I wouldn't have heard it. I would have gone right past me. I would have thought, oh, there's Gary Carter doing this again. But instead, he didn't say any of that. He just said, sometimes you have to play in pain. And I remember I was sitting there, and the minute he said that, I thought, that's right. You know, that's how you live, because I can do that. I'm a tough guy. You know, I can play in pain.
2: The significance of the way God worked in his life that night became even more clear years later when Andrew wrote about it in his autobiography.
0: It suddenly dawned on me, oh, wow, you know, God reached out to me through this guy, but he knew if he had spoken his name, I wouldn't have heard it, so he didn't speak his name.
1: That night, smoking cigarettes, drinking whiskey, and contemplating suicide was the night when Andrew began to consider that God might actually be real. His outlook on life improved, and his career began to take off. But there was still this.
0: Even though I was happy, even though things were going really well, there there was this one thing that really bothered me, which was this idea of relativism. Because this was, remember, this was the intellectual current of the time. This is what people like me thought. You know, if you were a guy like me who worked in New York, who worked in Hollywood, who worked in London... You believed that morality was relative and all cultures were the same and it was, you know, multiculturalism and moral relative. And it just didn't make sense to me, you know, like deep down. And it's hard to pull it when you're being carried away by an intellectual current. It's very hard to break out of it. You know, it takes a long time. But this one thing about the fact that I knew I loved my wife and I knew some other things, too. I knew that when a Nazi tortured a child, that was not as good as when a priest gave a beggar bread.
1: His intellect was pushing Andrew closer and closer to the conclusion that there is, in fact, a God. He quietly held on to this belief, even though he was surrounded by people who rejected the idea of God or Jesus. And then one night, Andrew prayed.
0: I was lying in bed reading an adventure novel that I loved. And there was a character in the novel who was kind of an intellectual character. The author wrote that this guy went to bed on this sh- ship. He was in the Napoleonic Wars. He went to bed in the ship, and he said a prayer before he fell asleep. And I was about to fall asleep, and I thought, well, if he can say a prayer, and he's this intellectual character, I can say a prayer, you know? And so I put the book aside, and I said a three-word prayer. The pr- prayer was, thank you, God, because I had this wife I was crazy about. I had these two kids I was crazy about. I was doing the work that I had always wanted to do, writing novels and making a good living at it. You know, things were good, you know. So I just said, thank you, God, and I fell asleep. Next morning, I wake up, and everything is different.
2: What was different was the way Andrew saw the world and everyone in it. He felt dramatically more connected to life. Now, he had not accepted Christ yet, but he began to experience joy, and
1: he began to pray regularly. That was the start of a five-year journey that would eventually lead Andrew to surrender his life to Christ.
0: I had found this, this North Star that I was steering myself by. And so if the water was choppy, if there were storms or something, I was still heading in the right direction. So five years go by, and I realized that prayer has done this amazing thing in my life. And I, I said to God, gee, you know, you've changed my life. You've given me the thing I've been looking for my whole life, this awakeness, this awareness, this abundance of life. And I don't know how to thank you. Because you're God and I'm just some schmo, you know? I mean, like, how do, how do, what can I do for you? It doesn't seem like there's anything. And the answer came back almost instantly. And I, I won't say it was a voice because it wasn't something I heard aloud, but it was that clear. It was that clear. The words came into my mind. Now you should be Baptized.
2: Andrew Claven was 49 years old when he accepted Christ as his Savior. That was in 2003. And his wife's faith in Christ has grown with his.
0: You know, I sometimes, when I found Christ and it made me so happy and so peaceful, I actually kind of got annoyed at one point and said to him, why did you let me take so long, you know? And, and I think the answer that, that I've come up with anyway is that he wanted me to see all the mistakes the intellectual mistakes of my age, you know, of my time that I lived in. And I went down every one. <laughs> I went down every corner, you know. But but I think that that was the way it was meant to be. It was meant for me to see, to, to think things through. And I'm a slow thinker, you know. I think things through. Could this be right? Could that be right? Could that be right? And I think he wanted me to have that whole selection before I thought, no, bingo, this is it. I've been no stranger to I've
1: So, a question now for you. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, here's the story. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He rose from the dead, and now he's offering you complete forgiveness so you can live with God forever in heaven. And we can tell you more about all
2: of that at this website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's God. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.
3: I must confess that I was arrested once, years ago when but a lad, Billy Graham, one dark night while walking on a lonely, lightless street, I felt a firm hand on my shoulder. I turned in consternation to see a big policeman, and he announced that I was under arrest. immediately took me before the judge and the judge asked if I could provide counsel. I admitted that I had no one to defend me nor plead my case. From the back of that courtroom came a man with the kindest smile I've ever seen. He stooped over me and asked if I was guilty. I confessed that I was. He began to plead my case before the stern, placid judge. He pleaded not for justice, but for mercy. Now, before you draw any false conclusions, let me say that the law I had broken was God's law. The policeman who arrested me was the Holy Spirit of God. The judge was God himself. My advocate, my savior was Jesus Christ. And his death was the keystone of redemption. There is no way for man to get to heaven except by the wonderful, glorious death of Jesus on the cross.
2: You can hear this entire message by going to BillyGrahamRadio.org and clicking on the Billy Graham Audio Archives. Once you're there, search for the message, The Christ of Christmas. There are over 1,600 other messages from Mr. Graham in our online archive. The address again is BillyGrahamRadio.org. And now back to the hosts of GPS, Jim Kirkland and Phil Fleischman. We want to thank Andrew Claven for being with us on this episode of GPS. You can read more of his story in his autobiography, The Great Good Thing. We also want to thank Citizen Way for the use of some of their music. I'm Phil Fleischman.
1: And I'm Jim Kirkland. Thank you for listening to GPS. God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news.